The Compliance Life details the journey to and in the role of a Chief Compliance Officer. How does one come to sit in the CCO chair? What are some of the skills a CCO needs to successfully navigate the compliance waters in any company? What are some of the top challenges CCOs have faced and how did they meet them? These questions and many others will be explored in this new podcast series. The Compliance Life is hosted by Tom Fox, and each month he'll present the story of one CCO through four episodes. The Compliance Life is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm extraordinarily pleased to welcome you to another four-week episode of The Compliance Life. In the month of September, I'll be visiting with Deanna Wongquo. Deanna uh, has been most recently the Chief Compliance Officer at Core Laboratories, where she served from 2003 to May 2020. In that capacity, she led Core Laboratories' ethics and compliance activities. In this role, she reported to the General Counsel and Secretary and to the Audit Committee of the Board of Directors. She was responsible for formulating and implemented Core Lab's ethics policies and procedures, including its code of ethics and corporate responsibility statement, making sure they were communicated and training across all company lines. She managed the company's helpline resources and served as the final internal resource which concerned parties could communicate after other formal channels and resources were exhausted. As Chief Compliance Officer, She was authorized to implement all necessary actions to ensure achievement of objectives of an effective compliance program. In her role, she collaborated with other functional departments, including internal audit, human resources, information security, to receive and direct compliance issues for the company. Deanna has a great story. Uh, It's well worth listening to. I know you'll enjoy it, and I know you'll learn a lot. Thanks for listening. Hello, everyone. Tom Fox back again with Deanna Wonquo for episode three in this month's The Compliance Life. Deanna, first of all, welcome back. Thanks, Tom. Deanna, uh, in this episode, I wanted to uh, take a look at the importance of building trust, being honest, and having high ethical standards for a chief compliance officer. I was wondering if you might start with some of your thoughts around helpline management. Yes, thanks, Tom. Um, So helpline management, that's really important, um, especially if you're going to have it managed internally. Having been the person on the receiving end of the hotline for the company that I worked for previously, I today would, would champion having a third party actually take care of that particular part of the compliance program. Why? Because I think, especially if it's going to be a multinational company, I think language barriers could prevent some individuals from reporting when they really have something that they need to report. I think individuals outside of the United States would prefer to speak to someone in their native tongue. I think that having a third party manage the helpline or the hotline, however, you know, however it's represented in the company, I think it gives 
the caller a little bit of added confidence to have an opportunity to speak to someone in their own language. Because the whole purpose, I think, in having a hotline is to encourage individuals in the company to speak up. If they see something, they should say something. Now, certainly having managed the helpline for the company, I did speak to individuals calling from around the globe. The one thing about my prior company is that there was a policy, it was a company policy that no matter where uh, there was an operation around the globe, somebody in the building had to be able to communicate in English well. Well, that's great if you're trying to do, you know, normal run-of-the-mill business. But what about a person who's out in the field who sees something and they need to report something and they're not that comfortable or confident to discuss their concern in English with me sitting on the other side of the globe? I think a multinational company should have if not a third party managing their hotline, then they should have maybe compliance champions, if you will, strategically placed, somewhat like human resources is strategically placed around the globe in these various offices. Why not have a compliance champion who sits in that office, who can speak the native language, who the person who needs to make the report of misconduct can speak confidently with, can be confident in that person's ability to triage their concern and hand that off to the appropriate person within the organization. Having a live person as opposed to a voicemail is, again, a plus. Because if I have something significant that I need to report and I've finally gotten up the courage to make that phone call, then I want to be able to reach a live person the first time. I don't want to have to try to talk myself into calling back. I think giving an individual the ability to report anonymously is good, but then it also has some challenges. Depending on how the person is going to report, if it is through an online mechanism where he or she does not leave an email address, perhaps, even if it's one that they've made up specifically for the call, or a phone number that they can be reached, they may not ever know that their concern has reached the right person and that the company is investigating it and they can't be kept in the loop as to the status of the investigation, whether or not it started, if it's been completed or not, and what they can expect afterwards and how they could be monitored for any signs of retaliation. So anonymous reporting has some 
challenges. I think it's important to have a good case management system, a system where you can obtain the information, you can store the information, you can retrieve it, and be able to um, still comply with any data privacy sort of regulations that you may face in regards to the keeping or maintaining of that data. Having a good case management system also helps to look at trends in reporting. And looking at trends will help you determine if you need to perform some additional risk assessments because, of course, the business or the risk environment changes. It can be very fluid. So you want to have data to sort of guide your risk assessments. So I just think having a hotline is beneficial to both the company and the employee. It helps us to do what a compliance, a good or an effective compliance program should do, and that is to detect and prevent misconduct and to facilitate compliance. Deanna, in a former life, I was a trial lawyer and I did a lot of, uh, I was a defense lawyer representing companies in contract, personal injury, et cetera. And in plant settings, when there was an incident, an accident, or an injury, there was always an investigation. And it was always handled by the plant guy. It was not a lawyer-led investigation. And it was beat into their heads, report facts, don't assess blame. Report facts, don't assess blame. Report facts, don't assess blame. And that led these reports to be literally the best report of facts. Uh, they didn't make have an opinion on what may have caused the incident. Uh, they didn't assess blame. And I was wondering if I might get your thoughts around why you believe the importance of reporting facts and not your opinion is critical in a fraud and ethics investigation. Thanks, Tom. That's a good question. So basically my point of view is this. Even when we're doing an internal investigation, we don't know, for example, if that investigation is going to remain internal or if, you know, if we have to, I guess, if it, if it goes external. So one thing that I, I practice in doing my investigations and, and very dutiful about reporting facts and not my opinion is because the facts matter and not necessarily my opinion. It's very important for us to get to the root of the misconduct, for us to understand how prevalent it was, if it was a one-off situation, if it's been systemic. It's important for us to be able to gather all of the facts so that once we make a decision and we close out the investigation, whatever disciplinary action takes place, that that action prevents recurrence. 
So if we're reporting the facts and not necessarily our opinions, that is going to prevent us from adding a bunch of fluff, a bunch of information to the report that is not germane to the issue at hand. And it just makes the report cleaner. If you're going to have to go back and look at that report, you want to be able to get to the nonconformance of what happened, what caused the misconduct, what were the causes of those, and, and be diligent about identifying the root causes, because if you don't, then you'll certainly have some recurrence. And applying the appropriate, the appropriate fixes to that situation in an effort to, again, not have the company face that same situation again. Dina, I've heard you refer to investigations as an opportunity for teachable moments. How do you, uh, and I was very intrigued by that comment, how do you use or find investigations as an opportunity for a teachable moment? Yeah, so one, one thing that I did consistently, Tom, anytime I had to conduct um, a fraud investigation or an ethics investigation, I was very mindful of the person sitting on the other side of the table. That person was a human being who had a life, potentially family, that was going to be impacted by this decision. But I, it was important for me to make sure that the person sitting across the table from me understood that the reason why I was in the building was because of his or her conduct and decision he or she made. So for me, I wanted to acknowledge, yes, they were a human being and they had perhaps made a decision that they now regret making, but, but they had to be held accountable. So I would always make sure that the person understood why I was there, the reason for me being there, what I was going to do. And I always wanted them to know that they had a decision, again, that they could make. They could choose to participate in the investigation. In other words, answer as truthfully as they could, because I was going to make a decision anyway. And so it would be to their benefit to answer honestly, because depending on how they handled or how they approached the situation, if they were going to be deceptive, then they needed to understand that my decision was going to be made based on the facts that I had obtained so they could contribute to my fact-finding if they chose. So I I just, I don't know, I guess I've just always had um, this uh, certain level of compassion in me, um, and it was never easy when I had to recommend uh, termination of a person, and I had to do it several times over the course of my, um, of my career there. Um, but it was never made, um, just, you know, just out of a, I don't want to deal with this, just fire them. It was never that I was always going to obtain the facts and make sure that I reported just the facts. Deanna, 
Unfortunately, we are near the end of this episode, but I hope our listeners will join us for our fourth and final episode next time where we take a look at what you feel like a CCO must stand for. I look forward to uh, concluding our uh, exploration of your life and in the Compliance Life next week, Deanna. Thanks, Tom. I look forward to it as well. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. Thank you again for listening to this episode of The Compliance Life. I hope you'll join me again next week where I take up another episode in The Compliance Life. The Compliance Life is a production of The Compliance Podcast Network. If you would like to be featured on The Compliance Life, please uh, give me an email at uh, tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Also, if you like this series, please give us a rating on iTunes. Uh, Any review and rating would definitely help get the word out about the latest addition to the Compliance Podcast Network. Thanks again. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.